Hi, Spring fans. Welcome to a beautiful podcast. I'm your host, Spring Developer Advocate Josh Long, and this show is all about the real heroes behind Spring and its ecosystem. Hi, Spring fans. Welcome to another summer of a beautiful podcast. How are you this uh, 22nd of December, 2022? I can't believe it. The holidays are well and clearly here. Uh, by the time you and I will speak next week, uh, we'll have seen some important holidays come and some even go, uh, including uh, Hanukkah, so a happy Hanukkah to those of you who celebrate uh, Christmas, a Merry Christmas to those of you who celebrate, and of course, Kwanzaa, a blessed Kwanzaa to all of those of you who celebrate. I don't I don't have any particular uh, affinity to the, the holidays so much as I do the revelry that attaches to them, right? The, the opportunity to reunite with, uh, by the way, this part's important. If you're going to do this, do it safely, wear a mask, keep your distance. You know, remember, we're in the middle of a triple-demic. There's like RSV and the flu and COVID and, uh, you know, you don't want that as a gift under your 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 tree or whatever, right? Just avoid the avoid the viruses. But if you can reunite safely with some precautions with family, um, then th- that's the important part, right? Is this having the ability to take some time off and, and, uh, and just find some peace is super, super important. Uh, and it's a forcing function, I think, for a lot of us. Not all of us, not even nearly all of us. That's the other thing is... These weeks for some people are just just another few weeks, right? Uh, you know, a huge contingent of the population. One one out of every five people uh, will celebrate Chinese New Year uh, in late January, early February. Um, it, it it tends to change based on the year, of course, but I think this year it's late uh, late January. Um, so yeah, there's just there's just whatever the reason is, whatever your excuse is for finding some time and, and, and stepping away from the work and sort of em- emptying your mind of whatever uh, stresses you, uh, it, it's worth doing. It's worth doing. Go find a show, you know, go hang out with your family, do something fun. Uh, I took the, the girls, we went to go see um, Avatar, which was phenomenal. Uh, the, what a spectacle. I mean, truly, I mean, to the extent that Marvel has done, I think, an amazing job of consistently delivering very good special effects um, over a decade and a half. I, I think, you know, uh, Avatar shows what happens if you just do one movie in 15 years, right? Uh, Marvel has done dozens of projects over the last 15 years. Uh, in the same time, I think there's only, you know, there was Avatar in, what, 2008 or something like that? And then I guess James Cameron kind of just disappeared and went heads down on what would that next thing look like? Were he to do several more installments of that. And this movie shows what is possible if you if you would just push the craft just that much further. It is truly uh, spectacular in every sense of the word, right? Uh, well worth your time, I think. Uh, that's not, uh, in an, uh, you know, it's not a prescription. You don't have to do that. But I just, we enjoyed it. Um, it's, uh, I just love this time of year. I'm also, it's also time to look forward, to plan what you're going to do next year, what where you want to be next year, right? Have in your head, uh, what you expect from the year, what you hope to get done, how you expect to get there. It's time to write down a little plan, right? Uh, the whole, uh, I, I, I'm trying to impress upon my dear my dear daughter uh, the importance of, of long-term planning, right? Uh, a year from now, isn't that, isn't that all that far from here? We'll get there very quickly if we don't pay attention, right? So uh, what do you want to be? Uh, what do you, where do you want to be in that time? And me, I've got plans, my friends. It's going to be an amazing 2023 um, so I hope you'll join me for the ride. Obviously, this podcast will soldier on. You can expect a lot more new videos. I'm updating my reactive spring book. I mean, there's just a lot of a lot of stuff. So stay tuned. Um, I, and also join me on on social media. I'm on Twitter at Starbucksman S T R B U X M A N and on Mastodon, uh, which is so I'm at Starbucksman at Mastodon dot online. 
uh, just find me there. We'll we'll hang out, have a conversation, chat, whatever. Now, my friends, um, today's episode is one on which uh, you know I, I one for which I've been eagerly waiting. Right, uh, this episode features uh, field CTO and chief evangelist at Gradle, Justin Riak. Now, Justin is uh, well, you know, just. We didn't know each other before this. I I'd never even heard of the man before this episode. Uh, turns out he's an absolutely lovely human being. Really, really intelligent, really knowledgeable. Obviously, uh, a whole lot to offer there. Also, quite a funny human being, right? Just a really interesting uh, person with whom I've had the privilege of, uh, of of playing video games and hanging out and whatever uh, since. We've become fast friends. So uh, I really enjoyed this episode. I learned a lot. You may know that we defaulted... Uh, the spring initializer, start.spring.io, uh, to Gradle some months ago, right? A couple months ago. Um, and that has stirred up quite a bit of uh, consternation among people, including myself to some extent, uh, who were, uh, you know, drank a lot of the Maven uh, Kool-Aid. And uh, it is it is a very sweet and delicious Kool-Aid. So I'm I'm still very uh, Maven first, um, you know, but, but I am learning. And one of the things that I love about Gradle is that it, tries to meet you where you are. So me, I, I given the choice between XML, uh, Groovy or Kotlin. Yeah, I'll, I'll, Kotlin is right up my alley. I've, I've done videos about that. I've done courses. I love Kotlin. You know, I do lots of presentations showing spring in terms of Kotlin, just because why not? You know, it's, you know, it's approachable and easier and concise and fast. So yeah, I'm all about that. And uh, that, that felt like a really nice open door. They, they opened the door. All I had to do was like, just walk in and uh, it was, it's been rewarding and I've been learning a lot. So you can expect some amazing content uh, on this very podcast about Gradle starting today, of course, with uh, Justin's interview and there's more coming, of course, not better, mind you, we, you know, nobody is better or worse, but more, you know, more great stuff. Uh, my friends, really, this episode was so much fun. Um, just, uh, just, just check it out. There, we, we talked about Developer Productivity Engineering, Gradle, Gradle Enterprise, which is like their software as a service offering that is, I think, their secret sauce. It's the thing that'll uh, separate your individual builds um, from other people's individual builds because your individual builds will have the ability to learn from each other. They'll have a, a hive mind that'll give them uh, just that extra boost in intelligence, which is phenomenal. And by the way, Gradle Enterprise isn't unique to Gradle. You can use it with Maven uh, and other build tools. Uh, but I think, you know, obviously it, it started with Gradle. Uh, so just an amazing interview. I hope you learned something from it. I, I certainly did. I learned a lot about developer productivity engineering, the whole discipline or field or practice of developer productivity engineering. Um, my friends, enjoy. Happy holidays. And uh, as always, I'll see you next week. Oh, yeah. Yeah, something went right today. Good. <laughs> hey, I'm super glad uh, we we spent like whatever, a minute or 20 or 50, uh, talking before the show. It's really nice to meet you. Uh, I didn't know what to expect from this conversation, but, um, you know, I was, I was prepared to like gush about Gradle, which is easy, but I didn't know you really well. So it's really great to, uh, have gotten a chance to talk. Um, can you introduce yourself to the audience? So, so other people can appreciate just how who you are and eventually how cool you are. Oh yeah. Thanks, Josh. I appreciate it. It was really good. Uh, kind of, Kind of shooting the shooting the breeze, talking about video games and everything like that to kick things off as well. I'm I'm Justin Riak. I'm the uh, currently the field CTO uh, and chief evangelist uh, for Gradle Inc., uh, which really represents two projects. We have the open source Gradle build tool, and I appreciate the the love there. Um, big fan myself. And then uh, we have uh, Gradle Enterprise, 
which is actually a, a total standalone product. It's a, uh, um, the, the naming can be a little bit confusing because it makes it sound like, like open core Gradle or Gradle plus or something like that, but it's actually a totally separate set of technologies that do things like speed up builds and reduce test flakiness and give data that's visible on how long builds are taking and trying to painting a picture of developer experience. And it's, Compatible with um, Gradle, but also with Maven. We brought feature parity to the Maven uh, ecosystem for it, uh, as well as the Bazel build tool. Um, Bazel, wow. Okay. Yeah, Bazel. Dedication. So, yeah. Well, and I mean, you know, if, if uh, you know, there's, there's a lot of uh, talk about, you know, continuing to go further, uh, support other build systems, you know, even look at maybe like some kind of ingress API that could make it easy to capture this type of data from other build tools. Um, cause it's all in support of this practice that we call developer productivity engineering, um, which is vendorless, you know, uh, it's, 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 we kind of see this practice as the next important practice after DevOps, but kind of in a very like literal way, you know, if you look at the way that DevOps and before that, like agile and lean, you know, all these practices like employed, the theory of constraints and constraints-based thinking and value stream mapping and all these things that say, okay, go and find the primary bottlenecks to throughput or productivity and then eliminate those bottlenecks, right? Uh, and in the case of DevOps, you know, do it through automation. Um, but uh, what that did, and I mean, these are, these are great things, don't get me wrong. I mean, uh, it's a great way to think and a great way to improve throughput. But the problem is that not enough DevOps uh, philosophy and tooling and technology is focused on developer experience. So now we have this whole new set of primary bottlenecks that need to be addressed. You know, we've got this world where you've got a thousand flavors of Kubernetes and a million different types of CI and a million different ways to scan your, your software supply chain or whatever they're calling it these days. And developers are still waiting an hour for builds to complete, or they're spending an entire day dealing with a flaky test, you know, or... Right. Even the build itself maybe is taking taking a long time, you know, or troubleshooting that build, the performance of it. Right. We don't have good tools, you know. So whereas we've really accelerated the ops part of DevOps, we feel like we've just created a whole new set of bottlenecks in the developer experience that need to be addressed now. So. You know, that's I've, that's very interesting. If I'm honest, I thought we developers were pretty spoiled and we've always had it pretty good. Uh, and then, because we had like, you know, not all of us certainly, but by and large, as an industry, I think twenty years ago, and 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 so on, we all kind of got together and said, "Hey, yeah, we should definitely have a reproducible harness for our tests. That's unit testing, and and uh, there's a test ethos." And then, you know, maybe in twenty oh four, twenty oh three, whatever. And then you get like you get Gradle a few years after that, and then you know, our our build tools are like phenomenal compared to what a lot of other languages are using, which is Make plus plus, or if it's not yeah. Make itself, you know. Um, uh, and then you get like, I just thought we were doing really well. And then eventually this whole DevOps thing, to me, it seemed like folks working in operations started to get some of that religion from the development world where you have to have reproducibility. You have to have uh version of control. You have to have ways to validate your, your thing, you know, and, and GitOps and DevOps and all these other things stem from them embracing software methodologies. But now that you say all this, I, yeah, you're right. It does seem like we could, I mean, it's not. It's it's always true that our experience as developers could be even better, you know. Um, and I think, 
it's a, you know, and it's, it's, you're not like in, in some ways, if we look at history and certainly if we look at other language ecosystems and stuff, yes, we've thought about a lot of good stuff, made the world better uh, for developers. Spring, I think is a perfect example of a framework that's reduced the amount of, you know, unnecessary toil that developers should have to deal with to be able to, to, to get their applications created. Right. I think it shares a lot of that same philosophy, but I think, I think a few things are also happening simultaneously. Like, First of all, I think that sometimes we get so caught up in what we're doing well uh, as an industry that we don't question that like, oh, this project just takes 15 minutes to build. That's just that's just what I have to deal with, you know, or it's an occupational hazard of being a developer that you have to, you know, work around some of these frustrations. But where I think we can we can start being better is asking, you know, looking at it through a different lens. Like and I, I don't even think that this is necessarily the responsibility of individual practitioners except that maybe they should start asking for these things. But I think that software leadership in companies needs to start saying, okay, we need to start engineering our build tool chains, not so that they're like fast enough, because what does that even mean? Like people aren't complaining, you know, and instead we need to make it as fast as it could possibly be given all applied acceleration, analytics, data observation, technologies, that kind of thing. Um, Because when you do this, some really cool effects happen. Like um, taking a build, let's say, Let's say it's a 10 minute build. All right. That's like, you know, fairly typical still. Um, and even if you've, you've done a good job of decomposing into microservices or whatever, I bet you you're still spending at least 10 minutes on oh, your yeah. test cycle, you know? Um, so integration test alone would probably be 10 minutes. Absolutely. Right. And, and so, so let's look at that for a minute. So we know that whenever we have to shift focus, you know, we change our, our, our focus from one thing to another, we pay the cost of a context switch. And cognitive science is teaching us that it takes like 10 or 15 minutes to really be able to shift onto another for most people. Uh, to really be able to spin down. Absolutely. And, and to, to be doing meaningful work. We're learning too, though, that, um, that context switching isn't just like something really hard for us to do. It's actually bad for our brains, like neurologically. Yeah. It, it, it leads to an increase in uh, glutamate in the prefrontal cortex and leads to cognitive fatigue, which makes it harder for us to innovate at the level that we're really capable of. And right. so you go back to this like 10 minute build. Well, first of all, you don't even have enough time to go and shift focus and do anything really meaningful. That 10 minutes is actually kind of toxic. You extend yeah. that out to an hour, like, okay, at least then, you I know, can I step could, away. Yeah. Right. Something I go play on my Steam Deck for a minute or whatever <laughs> while this thing is, uh, um, while it's finishing, but I'm still paying 50, you know, 20 to 30 minutes of context switch task just for that one build. So, yeah. so this is a lot of what DPE focuses on. Yeah. Now, does that, so, Okay, so um, tw- when I first got into the industry, it wasn't uncommon to have a person, a human being, who was the build master, you know, yeah. uh, and somebody that would manage the build. There was a art to it, just like we have a DBA today. That's not, uh, you know, well, I suppose not all database people are DBAs anymore, but like it used to be, there's a whole career around like tuning Oracle, you know, like. You, the, the Oracle Whisper, right? That was a, a yeah. whole job that took eight hours a day, every day for the entire year, you know? Um, and, and then there's a build master and that build master managed things like build artifacts and, you know, and all that stuff. And that whole, uh, but that doesn't speak to all of the software. Cause you, cause you're right. Think about everything around the edges of writing code. 
compiling is one of it, test is another, formatting of your code, validation, linting, all this stuff. I suppose all that falls into deep developer productivity engineering. Absolutely. You know? I, yeah. yeah. And, and yeah, I, gosh, I remember the build master days and before that too, but, but a lot of this, you know, consider incremental work, like where you're yeah. making small changes to a multi-module project and you're needing to build to get the feedback from the build tool chain about whether what you did was correct, right? Having to wait for that feedback breaks that really nice kind of creative flow. And the same right. thing would happen, you know, passing that code off to a build master. And then it's like, cause I mean, there's there's other you know brain mapping has been done while folks like like you and I are actually writing code like uh, when we're in our state of creative flow, um, yeah. people have done brain maps and it's like this really cool kind of soup yeah. of like right right brain and left brain behavior which isn't surprising we we know that writing code is like creative right but also like scientific at the same time and um but that means that it's that it's subject to any any like creative flow like anything else like an artist would yeah. have or a singer yeah. or yeah or an athlete, you know, um, and, and getting pulled out of that flow state is deleterious to our productivity, but it it's, it's also, it, that's our happy place, you know, like when yeah. we're engaged and like the world around us doesn't even really exist, you know, and we're right. into our work. I don't know about you, but for me, that's like a euphoric, that's like a euphoric, it's, the best. it's, it's an ecstasy. Yeah. People do, dr- people do drugs to get the same effect. We, just, we, get, <laughs> yes. we get to have the same, we get to have the same thing and get paid softer money like it's right it's way better than the alternative you know no but yeah. okay, let me get back i'm trying to hone in on this dpe thing because yeah so does that does that point to like we, you're not saying we need to go back and have the build master are you saying we need to have tools that give you the wisdom of the build master like like is the goal to teach people what they're missing and what used to be a part of this fuller function because right now let's say that the average person when they think of their build tool only considers compiling and jarring you know and then loading the dependencies now as well right like is it that there's all these other things that we've just kind of forgotten because there's no longer build master but we don't have tools that think about these things either in the name of simplicity for whatever definition of simplicity you have i think it's a really good way to approach that question and so first of all the question is great what falls under dpe that's a really good question uh we have you know the, the tooling that comes with gradle enterprise but that's not exhaustive that doesn't represent every type of technology that could fall into dpe but the definition is is pretty clear, and it, and I, one of the best ways to kind of define it is to kind of say what it isn't, right? And so, like, what it isn't is what we would might refer to as like productivity management. So these are like you know Jira, and these are agile story points, and these are you know you know did we meet our deadlines or you know whatever it is, or, or tools to try to kind of you know manage the people and process aspect right. of it. That's not DPE. So DPE is that ALM, I guess. I, I yeah sure App, application lifecycle management I think that that falls into it um, and there's probably a million names for it right um, but uh, with DPE it's very specific did we use a piece of technology to remove some unnecessary toil or friction from the developer and when you pick things apart things like you mentioned like code linting and static code analysis even security scanning to a degree yeah. um, because it removes the, the need for that developer to go check CVs on their own or whatever. Um, all of those things, I think, fall under this category, right? I see. Yeah. Um, you know, for us, we look at things like build caching, right? Gradle's got its awesome little build cache built into it. And we, we gave the same technology to the, to the Maven project, uh, through Gradle Enterprise. Um, we also recommend test distribution, which a lot of people do like CI test fan out. 
this is similar, but we're talking about actually scheduling those tests from the local environment as opposed to having to rely on CI so that you can benefit it, you know, benefit from that test scheduling, like remote test scheduling, basically from your local workstation and get incremental testing. And then most recently, predictive test selection, which is really exciting. Um, This is something that was kind of cooked up in the labs of Google and Facebook. Uh, Facebook released a paper on it in 2019. We productized it. A few other companies have productized it as well well at this point. And it's a new way of thinking about test impact analysis. Um, It uses a a gradient-boosted machine learning model to take a look at a history of changes that have been made to a code base and compares that to how they impacted tests and then makes a prediction um, which of these tests are likely to switch their output from the last time they ran. Is that Kosuke Kawagachi's new startup as well? The, um, is it Launchly? The guy who did Jenkins. Uh, I think he's got a new business around that as well. That's is it a- Launchable or Launch- Launchable? Yeah, Launchable, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, Launchable has has integrated this as well. Yeah, and, as, uh, and I think they're working on flaky tests. Very, very similar. Yeah, uh, there's, you know... Uh, um, Facebook kind of has their, uh, like, like what they use, they used um, the XGBoost library. We ended up doing the same thing. Uh, and uh, we, there's several models in there that are actually operating in almost an adversarial way to, to, to make the data more accurate. Um, but yeah, uh, Launchable is looking at doing something similar. I want to say that, is it Engflow that's working on this now too? So it's a really cool approach. I mean, in, right. in our, what's that? rife with interesting opportunities. You know? It really, really is. And I mean, and it does like, first, there's so many things I like about it. Like one, it's using machine learning to solve a real problem, right? It's yeah. actually putting real time back into the hands of developers. Like this is what we, this was the promise of machine learning, right? Um, and it's automating a task that we already kind of do by hand anyway. You know, I mean, like when we go in and we make a small change, we're like, okay, I don't need to run these tests. I'm just going to no, cut them just, out. There's no reason. You should yeah. select and then right-click run, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so um, so, so we do this by hand kind of already anyway. But now we can let a machine learning model make us not have to think about this anymore, right? Uh, so instead, good. yeah. And so, and actually, I wonder if, okay, let's say that you just do that and nothing else to the build. So you don't take advantage of concurrency for test execution. All that. So your build still takes an hour, but at least the the sort of, tedium associate the manual tedium that you have to do to get to the point where it's doing that build at least that gets reduced and so therefore you don't feel like you're losing as much time so you're still net net more happy you know like it it, every little bit i imagine contributes to happiness you know um we call it kind of a force multiplier um yeah so if you think about like and again, I'm not suggesting that this is an exhaustive list. We're always cooking up new ways to make things faster. Other people are thinking of new ways to make sure. things faster. But um, but if you think about these things, these three things sort of working together, right? So the build cache is able to let you effectively avoid compiling steps and avoid test steps right. um, in an incremental way, right? Uh, it augments Gradle's in- incremental build system um, by saying that even in a clean build, you have the opportunity to pull the output from a previous task, uh, as opposed to having to rerun that task. And, and by the way, so you're talking, um, by the way, I should say we use Gradle Enterprise. Uh, the spring yes. Enterprise. Yeah. Spring Framework we, has it. Yeah. Yeah. We, we love it because like, for example, Spring Boot, I forget the exact numbers, but it was like an hour for the build before. And then we moved to Gradle like Enterprise. 12 minutes this, well, I mean, 40 minutes, but still that's a third of the, of the build just shaved off for free because we used took advantage of things like build caching which is i don't i'm not sure if people understand just listening gradle enterprise is a server you deploy it it's a thing that 
looks at your build and 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 to which your 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 build running on CI or local machine or whatever talks to, and it in turn has successful built artifacts for other builds of the same exact like checksum or whatever. And basically, if you've already if somebody else successfully already built that artifact and there's no input that's changed, then therefore you can reuse that same thing in your build and skip it locally. Is that the idea? That's uh, spot on. That's that's a okay. better definition than most people can give. <laughs> and it's so so that's really useful. It actually saves you know. If you're changing something in the core of the project, obviously that's going to have like a ripple effect and invalidate the caches for everything. But if you're doing like something on the peripheral of your project, like a, you know, we have Spring Boot has a lot of different modules. And if we're doing something that's very small, that depends on other things, we can benefit from the caching for all those other things and skip rebuilding all that stuff, you know? Um, it's brilliant. Nailed it. Really? Yeah. No, you you nailed it. It's great, and and I mean that's uh, you know other other build uh, tool chains have started to follow suit here. Like Clang has one now, um, and Basil, of course, has its yeah. its own cache and stuff like that. So, but yeah, no, and I appreciate the uh, yeah the, um, the the plug there for Spring Framework and, and Gradle Enterprise. That's uh, yep. we're really happy to be able to you know kind of have that partnership. Um, the uh, um, the the program is called Revved Up by Gradle, and we're, we do this actually for a lot of different open source projects at this point. I think we've got about seventeen, um, and we're we're we are in the middle of actually making a donation to Apache Software Foundation as well, wow. uh, which we're cool. very excited about. Yeah, really, really excited about that. Um, that's still kind of early in the works, but um, but it's going along really well. So, that's super cool. What yeah. I love about this, I guess, so with something like Gradle Enterprise, I think you're codifying what used to be the province of the the providence of the uh, buildmaster like a lot of those best practices are being baked into the plugin and to the tool for you so suddenly all this dpe stuff just gets you know you've got i don't know is that i, I think I that's I'm, a that's a really yeah. good way of thinking about it. it it and it's kind of putting the power back in the hands of the developer so that they can, you know, have a really good local build experience. And not that this stuff, I mean, this stuff also benefits CI. It benefits uh, stuff running in remote workstation environments and that kind of stuff too, because all right. it all just extends from the build tool. So whatever is executing the build tool. But for us, like I have a, I have my Cash Me If You Can shirt on right now, but mm-hmm. I have another one that just says build local um, because that's a lot of how we think uh, is how can we return um, a lot of this uh, efficiency back to the developer's local experience so that they can get feedback as close to where they're working as possible. And again, yeah. kind of stay in that flow state. So um, so then if you think about it, these things working together, right? So we've got build caching and that lets us cache outputs from, from all kinds of tasks, really any standard right. goal or task. That helps us avoid compiling work. It helps us avoid running tests. You know, anything that, that, that could be pulled out of the, res- uh, that produces an output during the build and has a standard set of inputs can technically be, you know, cacheable. So then we, right. we, we slice off a significant chunk right there. Then we run the thing through predicted test selection. So it's like, all right, let's say the build cache took us from 20,000 tests uh, or uh, down to like 10,000 tests. Let's say the cache said, okay, we can pull half of these from cache. Great. Right. Then predictive runs through and says, okay, well, of these 10,000 tests, only a thousand of them are likely to actually change their, their outcome or their, their, their result. So let's Based on the code you changed here. Mm-hmm. How, do you, yeah, based- how do you, how do you analyze the code to see, is it just plugging into the test runner or do you like do byte code analysis or like, how do it's- you know? So what it, what it's actually doing, it's actually a little bit simpler than that. I, since it's not a deep learning model, um, you know, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a gradient boosted, uh, decision tree model instead. So it was also kind of cool because you don't need a GPU or anything like that. 
Um, the features can actually, you don't really need to capture all that many features in order to train um, a, a gradient boosted model like this. Yeah. So they're just looking at the source code changes themselves. I mean, there, there's a number, a number of features that they look at. But it, it does happen during uh, the, the. It happens at several points in the build. It happens first when the source code changes are presented to Gradle Enterprise. Then a new set of features are added into the learning model. Then the tests actually run, right? And the outcome of those tests are used to train the model on um, on on how these types of changes have impacted those tests in the past. And then it's yeah. constant. And then then when the, so when the tests actually run, then the outcome of those tests are also used to inform the model. Uh, and then, you know, as that test get, you know, gets smaller, I mean, you still, you still retrain the model every single time you run, you run the build and run the test. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. That's like awesome. actually, yeah, Spring, I don't think has turned this on yet. Um, but you've got it. I'm actually, I've got your platform pulled up right now. Uh, no. your simulator is already, um, so, so we turned this, this thing on and kind of a, here's how we productize it, right? We had a simu, a simulator and then we have yeah. like a usage dashboard. The simulator you just get. Because all the simulator is doing is training its model and saying, here's the test that I would have recommended you not run. Um, and then it's also able to say, you know, it's, it's yeah. able to look at the real, because everything is still actually getting run, it's able right. to say, okay, how good were my predictions? Like, what what kind of confidence should I have in this? Um, but it looks like right now, if I pull up Spring's dashboard, you have about a 40% savings potential per, you know, so which which right now, looking at the number of builds that ran over the week, you got oh, yeah, seven day, like seven days and thirteen hours of potential savings just from predictive. So, <laughs> wow! So we, should, we should talk about turning that on, and it's about a ninety-eight point one percent confidence, which is pretty good. Um, and uh, the thing is, like post merge, you would always want to set up some type of workflow to run every test. So this right. is really more like you know the work you're doing pre merge, and um, uh, again, local to the developer, making incremental changes to the project. Um, you know, we're just about to release, uh, we just released Spring Framework 6 and about to release Spring Boot 3. Uh, and so I think we're all just like, no risks right now. Just Oh, sure. All hands yeah. on deck. Don't change anything. Don't <laughs> blow on anything. Don't breathe heavily. Don't do anything. Just get it out the door, you know? Yeah, I get it, man. Yeah, that's that's an important. You're at a you're at a major release cycle. That's a big deal. Um, but maybe we can look at turn it on uh, afterwards or something. We figure it out. But um, but now you th- now you got these two like little force multipliers. You got build caching slicing you down. You got predictive yep. slicing you down even more. And then after that, you can still at least distribute the tests. And the way that we uh, did our test distribution is basically we just created a test agent that's compatible with uh, JUnit five and JUnit four and. I think uh, some of some of the derived frameworks from there, like Spock and whatnot, uh, and then um, uh, we we just made them little Docker agents running in Kubernetes, and the build tool then correct, connects through Gradle Enterprise to this set of ta- uh, test agents uh, that are running in Kubernetes, and then they just elastically can auto scale using KDA pod auto scaling or whatever you want. And so so now we're, we got those thousand tests, spin up a thousand agents to run them. They're only waiting through 10 and they did a really good job. The, the, the Gradle enterprise engineers that worked on this did a really good job of distributing from like a chronological standpoint, optimizing the way those tests run. So as an example, let's say that you had test one test that, that always takes 30 minutes, like no matter what, right. It's a 30 right. minute long test. Um, uh, and then you've got maybe just again, easy math. You've got six tests that take five minutes each. It's right. smart enough to assign the 30 minute test to one parallel agent. 
And then the six other tests that are running at five minutes uh, to a second parallel agent so that the entire thing takes 30 minutes as opposed to running everything serially. So it, it knows how to distribute that intelligently based on a history of how long those tests have run in the past. And it's, you know, this all, all this capability just comes from just gathering the data. You know, like one of my favorite things I use, and when I talk about the DPE keynote, one of the, one of the things that I love to quote is a quote by Yogi Berra, um, who says, you can observe a lot just by watching. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like so simple, but then it's like, you know, going back to our, our kind of, you know, waking up the industry, I guess, you know, when I go give this talk, I also love to ask the question who in the audience is tracking local build times who's actually pulling this data out and even putting it on a dashboard so that you can see what the developer experience really looks like and it's it's like consistently nobody consistently you know you ask that question you're like oh no i didn't think about that and um you know hans loves to talk about how in any other industry you know if you were to go to a car manufacturing plant and ask them you know how long it takes one part to get from one point to another They'll, right. they'll give you that data instantly. Of course they have that data, right? But in yeah. software development, like we're the only industry, we're manufacturing. That's what we're doing. But we don't, we're not paying attention to these metrics. No. And yes. it's, uh, you know, the the mean time to recovery and things like that. We have, we're starting to get some of that. But again, people that talk about this stuff are necessarily kind of out there. You know, they're, they're leading the pack. They're not the... Uh, silent majority or whatever, the, the, the large wave of people that are doing it, you know, um, but we'll get there. I hope fingers crossed. We've yeah. got to, I mean, you know, it's, uh, you know, the most recent statistic that I saw in terms of global, global GDP digital transformation is that by the, at the beginning of 2022, we had hit about 65% of the global GDP being digitally transformed. Let's, I mean, that's stack like just, let that sink in just how much code that is, you know? It's terrifying because I know how the sausage is made and it doesn't go well. Yeah. Um, And so it's, it's like, we've got to start thinking about this workforce. So, but that means that, so, okay. When you talk about transformation, by the way, I'm just thinking about that. Is that like, you know, digitization or is that actually like, Hey, let's build new stuff based on computers as opposed to taking old paper workflows and turning them into computers. It's, I mean, it's, it's, it's that it's, 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 is software in the loop, you know, somewhere in, in, and getting this product out, like a great way to kind of, you know, like one of the biggest objections is like, no way. What about the gross agricultural product? And it's like, okay, John Deere impacted by the internet, right? Of course. Yeah. John Deere makes more money off of the data that they sell the aggregate agricultural data that they capture and the sensors and their tractors than, than the tractors themselves. You know, <laughs> oh, wow. creating digital twins. Yeah. Yeah. The gold mine, digital gold mine. Absolutely. Um, okay. So you mentioned Hans. That's, of course, the illustrious, the amazing, uh, incorrigible, and in, uh, inestimable um, Hans Docker, who is the uh, founder of, of Gradle. Can you tell us a little bit about, I mean, just for the two people that haven't heard <laughs> about it, you know? By the way, I actually, last time I saw Hans was because I've known poor Hans for like, I don't know, 12 years. Right. So last time I saw him was by accident. We were both in San Francisco airport um, about to take a flight to, uh, I don't know, someplace. I have no idea. I don't remember, but it was, we were, we were both bo- queuing for the same place. Like, Oh, Hey Josh. I'm like, so we had a great conversation and he was, <laughs> he was telling, I mean, cause this is the thing I, I think people don't really appreciate. At least I didn't appreciate. Cause I'm an, I'm a simple person with 
very few brain cells. And yeah. uh, uh, what I think a lot of people may be surprised to know is that Gradle is ubiquitous outside of Java, right? It's not just in Java, not just in the JVM community. It's like he was saying, there's a huge number of people that are doing like native, like C++, things like that. And I was like, really? I had no idea. You could have knocked me over with a feather, you know? And obviously we've seen its uh, ascendance in, in the Android ecosystem, right? Um, yep. Where it is the choice, the tool of choice for a decade now or whatever. Um, yeah, just a very versatile tool. So can you tell us about Gradle, its beginnings, that kind of stuff? Just, I'm always curious about this stuff. Yeah, sure. Um, it was actually, you know, very specific. Um, uh, and, and Hans is awesome. He's so cool to work for. And, and I mean, so and, cool. and to, and, 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 you know, you, you know, something about this too, but to, to be working with somebody who's taken a successful open source project to the next level and, and really monetized it and made it, you know, we're getting 30 million downloads a month of Gradle build tool right now. Of course, right. a lot of CI and automation and the Gradle wrapper and stuff like that, but sure. either way, it's a, it's a, it's a lot. Um, so, you know, uh, and by the way, you know, he's a big fan of yours too. You know, he, oh. uh, it, well, it's funny just in conversation when, when he needs to pull out an industry luminary, he's like, you know, if somebody like Josh Long would do it this way, you know, and so <laughs> you're actually, you actually have, um, some, some, uh, some space in his head, in his head as well. So, oh, uh, that's um, feelings mutual. Yeah. Well, um, you know, open source, man, uh, small world still. Um, but, uh, uh, but yeah, so, so, you know, it was pretty straightforward when, when he talks about, you know, why he built Gradle, uh, yeah. it was really just out of a sense of frustration looking at these teams that weren't as productive as they could be because yeah. they were held back by parts of the tool chain, you know? Um, and so he wanted to be able to create a build tool that focused on kind of putting the developer's experience first. And was so his background in builds or like he was just like, doing some other ambient thing in software and he just, he was doing other ambient, tackle builds. Yeah. Yeah. He was, he was, he was doing other, he was a big, like early proponent of like test driven uh, design. He was, he was doing a lot of software projects for companies, corporations and things like that. Um, right. And, uh, and, and so he was, but he, he started the JBoss IDE project, um, right. which was, which was a super interesting project. I mean, uh, JBoss. Yeah. 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 It had all and the right components. Yep, it does. Yeah. And now the uh, Jakarta Foundation has picked up a lot of that kind of stuff. So, yeah. um, uh, so he was, he was doing that kind of stuff. And then, you know, so he's doing this work for companies and he's working with these development teams and, and, and people are like not working to their, you know, to their potential because of just problems, slowdowns and, and toil and all these things that we've been talking about. Um, so he's like, I'm going to build a, a, a build tool here. And of course it's going to be open source. And, uh, it's going to be uh, focused on making sure that that we're making this thing really fast, that we're right. making, it, you know, um, uh, letting developers, you know, getting out of the way of, of, of what the developers are trying to do. Um, and so those have been the values. And that's why when you look at what's been the focus of Gradle, you know, things like, you know, first of all, um, you know, having really solid algorithms for, you know, traversing the, you know, the directed acyclic graph and everything like that. Right. Having, you know, a really nice algorithm for the way that dependencies get resolved and, um, and speeding those things up. But then also, you know, taking it further, adding the build cache, you know, adding the configuration cache, you know, it's just like chase right. bottlenecks and how long developers are waiting on this thing. Um, and One so thing I think, one thing I think Gradle did really early on, and I don't think I've seen the, done quite so well still is, um, I mean, elsewhere, is uh, the, the incremental compilation, right? Yes. The, the, the Gradle daemon and the incremental compilation is just such a boon. And it's just such an obvious, like, 
well, of course, it's going to take time if I have to restart that process every single time. Why would I do that? But, you know, it's just what we always did. Uh, yeah. So much obvious, so obvious when you think about it, but, you know. So that's what a lot of this DPE is. I mean, one of the best bits of feedback that I ever got after giving a talk about DPE was at a DevOps days in Aarhus, Denmark. And it was earlier in the year. This guy came up to me and he was a DevOps professional. And he said, hey, it was really great, really eye-opening talk. Probably one of the best ones I've heard in a while. But it's also the most frustrating talk that I've ever listened to because I'm hearing you say these things and it's so obvious, but we're not doing any of these things. It's like (laughs) we should have been doing this stuff. Right. Um, so, and I think that that's a lot of Hans's vision. You know, he's able to think yeah. very critically about, are we really making this as good of an experience as possible for developers? I mean, he's an engineer first guy, developers is a first class citizen um, yep. and caring about developer happiness and joy is like really why we all get up in the morning and, and do what we do is like, we, we really get to believe in what we're doing. Um, so so anyway, uh, so that would become really popular. Um, you know, I want to say uh, this was probably back 2008. Um, he uh, then put a he decided to start to get a popular. So let's see if we can monetize a little bit. And but then he's, what he did was just starting selling services and training, right? Like a lot of people will do with with popular open source projects. Mm-hmm. Um, and so That's that was for spring. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, in fact, it was only a couple of years later that. Uh, both Hibernate and Spring would migrate to Gradle, which would make it um, that Wait, gave it. Say again, I lost you there. Both Hibernate, Hibernate and what? Uh, it was like I think it was 2010 uh, that that uh, Hibernate and Spring both migrated oh. to building off of Gradle. Yeah, so um, mm-hmm. we'll have to go yeah. and something. Like I don't that. know. It's, it's been a, it's been at least a decade, I think. Yeah, but I don't know if it's 20 years after that. Maybe. Yeah, and, wouldn't uh, surprise me. We hit like, you know, became the default build tool, you know, in Android. That was obviously huge and really kind of catapulted us. And um, right. uh, so from there, though, now, now, if you can kind of picture, right, he's helping a lot of businesses, uh, enterprises specifically with Gradle related stuff. That's part of the business model of Gradle Inc. And now he starts getting a vision of this still isn't good enough, especially in the enterprise with these like massive uh, applications, multi-module, huge test corpus, all this stuff. He's like, this isn't good enough. So, so then Gradle Enterprise is kind of where he envisioned after that. It was like, we need a way to not only accelerate things for developers, but we need a way to apply observation and data um, and key metrics. And we need a practice, you know, that really focuses on, you know, this, this idea of using technology to make developers happier and therefore more productive. Um, and so that's where Gradle Enterprise would then kind of be envisioned. And that's, you know, obviously what we're really focused on right now, what I'm really focused on right now when I was brought into the company. Um, so that's, yeah, that's kind of the, the loose history of, of Hans and Gradle, but, you know, he would take it from, uh, those those humble beginnings with a with a build tool up to we just had our first ever developer productivity engineering summit in San Francisco uh, oh, wow. just a couple of weeks ago yeah and that was awesome we had like uh, almost 300 people there just talking about productivity and good folks from LinkedIn and Netflix and Uber and and um, and so uh, you know and and he would keynote Apache software uh, Apache Con just a couple of a couple of months ago um, so you know. We're, we're, we've, we've risen. <laughs> oh, for sure. I mean, it's, it's, it's as ubiquitous as people get. Um, uh, one of the things I've loved about Gradle, uh, is that it does shine through as very much a, like, it, it seems like it's optimizing not just for the, 
80% case, but for the, you know, ineluctable 20% case as well, right? The, it, it's this, you know, we all get to a point where our build exceeds the complexity with which we're comfortable, right? That, that all, that's what we want. Anyway, that's a sign of success, you know, and Gradle just makes that, it doesn't feel like a giant jump, you know, conceptually, logically, you know, paradigmatically to go from like, I've got a build that just works out of the box to I need to change one little thing. And you know, the, it's a linear path. I don't know how to describe it. It's not, you know, it's not a different thing. And so there's nothing so beautiful as, you know, source build or build source main Java, you know, like the fact that that just lives right next to my code base proper is just magic, you know? Um, well, that was important, right? I mean, when, when he didn't want to break convention, you know, he didn't want to change right. like the standard, the standard code layout that we have for Java, you know? And right. I mean, what I love too is how flexible it is. Like I got my Maven project. All right. Great. Gradle in it. Now I got my Gradle build scripts, but I'm also right. not mutually exclusive. I want to build this thing with Maven. I can build it with Maven. I want to build it with Gradle. I can build it with Gradle. If in, in the interim, if I'm looking at migrating, I don't have to, you know, I can, I can put the right configuration in place and, and not force developers to start using it until they're comfortable. Um, and you, you know, the enterprise focus is, is a lot of why Gradle Enterprise is Gradle Enterprise too, because you brought up something really important as the projects get kind of more complex. Usually yeah. that's a sign of that project's success, but there's right. this irony, right? There's this like, uh, there's a, there's a straight up irony in place that as the project gets more successful and attracts more developers and dependencies and all these kinds of things, the developer experience goes in the opposite direction. Right. So there's an inverse right. relationship there. The more successful the project, the crappier the developer experience. Is. Oh no, that's a very good point. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, so having something ready to stem that, that trend, you know, to stop it is that's very useful to know. Cause I don't, I mean, honestly, I don't want built source main Java, you know, yeah. I don't want to ever need that, but if I do, it's just one little directory away and I can start writing some code. Or I can just write, you know, some Kotlin or Groovy tasks in line or whatever. It's not hard to get the result you want. And then you can refactor and refine and polish to the point where you bury it down into reusable things that the entire organization can use it eventually, you know? I think that was a stroke of, of brilliance when they put the tool together, too, that it's like, you know, let's give um, whoever's going to configure this build the full power of Java, you know, via Groovy or via Kotlin um, in the way that they put this build together. And that's a lot of what's to your point too, about um, it's starting to get useful for other languages and frameworks like native. And uh, we've even got plugins now for Webpack and stuff like this Um, that gives folks a lot of power. Now, I mean, that's also, it's a double-edged sword, right? I mean, that's, that's certainly been one of the, the critiques of something like Gradle versus Maven is that the learning curve is a little higher. You know, uh, you may look at a build for the first time. And whereas with Maven, because you've got this declarative XML, you know, configuration, it's not too hard to kind of discern. Oh, oh you're not. saying the build, the, I was, okay, I was so confused for a second. You're saying the learning curve for a moderately complex build yes. is a little higher for Gradle. But for like the, I just want to build a jar and I'm going to use these poor dependencies use case, Gradle is like, five lines oh. and maven's 100 right it's different yeah yeah yeah, yeah. no no um, question there yeah sorry i should have been more explicit yeah i mean for you're saying once you start customizing stuff then it maybe it's a, in that in, and even there it's different it's more complex in that it's code and you have to kind of parse what it's doing as opposed to there's just a lot of it right which yeah. is i think people are de- able to deal with code as opposed to abundant like nobody wants to like a thousand paper clips in in a, in a jar is not hard to, it's not easy to like 
understand. Whereas I can look at a lot of code, you know, and work through that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it really, um, it's, it's more about, you know, if you've never seen this before, you know, and you've got a Maven build that's of moderate complexity and a greater one, at right. least with Maven, I can trace through the XML and I'm like, okay, does it kind of make sense? Um, with, with Gradle, you know, when you start adding in plugins and some custom Java logic and all these kinds of things, not that it's, you know, I mean, obviously if you're, if you, if you understand Java or if you understand Kotlin or if you've, you've done Groovy before, it becomes much easier because then you're right. just looking at application. So. so Justin. Yes. Buddy. Friend. The question, the million dollar question, and you're just going to alienate half of, uh, of the people listening, no matter which answer you choose. So choose wisely. <laughs> Groovy or Kotlin? I knew you were going to ask this. <laughs> He's like, Scala, <laughs> just do that. Now. <laughs> um, in the spirit of not wanting to... Uh, you know, fine. The <laughs> no. Um, they both... Uh, you know, here's what I would have to say. I, I, I don't think that it's... I don't, I don't think that it's hard to argue that Kotlin is an evolution of the language right and it evolved more recently than groovy did and as a result it's had a chance to learn a lot uh from you know what's gone well and what hasn't gone well with some of those that have come before it it's standing on the shoulders of giants so i I would have to say you know from from just a raw objective like if i was if i had no if i was like a a cave person that was like just being taught how to code or something like that. And I had right. zero foreknowledge and there was no other prerequisite. I would probably want to start my project with Colin. You know? Okay. Fair. Uh, and, now, and, what if yeah. you're writing great old builds today in the world where most of the code, most of the documentation out there is Groovy? What's the more logical choice there? Then you, you want to stick with, with not having to do a whole bunch of rework. Um, and I, so, yeah. Yeah. Um, so Groovy's where it's at. You know. I'm a Kotlin Google developer, but I love me some Kotlin, so I'm going to write fine in Kotlin. Yes. But I, I don't begrudge people who are on Groovy because, you know, it's like the thing that's been out there for a hot minute, you know? Yes. Yeah, exactly. And, and I mean, I think that that, it comes down to that. That's where I mean, if there, if, if, if you had no history and you're immediately yeah. coming into this and you're starting to start. Yes, exactly. You know, um, you know, but there's, there's so many, I mean, how many incidences of that do we really get to encounter? I mean, you know, it's like Greenfield versus, um, so, uh, but there are so many great things. So, I mean, like if, for instance, you use the Kotlin, uh, if you use Kotlin to do your build scripts and stuff, um, yeah, then you get all the really nice IDE integration that Kotlin gives you, you know, you can take advantage of all the autocomplete and IntelliSense and, and everything like that. Um, because it's, because that, is something that I would say is a little bit more bleeding edge than what's just, yeah. just what's been made available in Groovy. But you got you know, you remember the same the same debate was happening between Java and Groovy when Groovy came out. You know, it was oh, like yeah. and know. Groovy and Scala and like there's yeah. it's always something. It's I don't care. Yeah, now JavaScript and TypeScript on the other side, yeah. and so um, no, it's a, it's a very it's an important question. It, it really is. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, you have the flexibility to use either one. Uh, yeah. in, in Gradle and. Uh, I think if I, if I, you know, just anecdotally, I don't, I don't have any data to back this up at all. Um, but when I think about like the open source projects and stuff that I've pulled down that are, that are built with Gradle, I'm definitely seeing, you know, I would say much more of Groovy than I'm seeing Kotlin. Um, sure. Well, yeah, but that's yeah. just because of inertia, right? Like, sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah. my, you know, the spring team, uh, 
we had a heavy hand in creating that or helping create the uh, Kotlin DSL, right? Where Chris Beams. Uh, oh, sure. Do you remember him? He was, he's wonderful. He, he was on the spring team for, you know, if you, if you ever use at configuration in spring, that's because of him, you know, he's, he's amazing. And he helped, he was at Gradle for, you know, a while. Uh, and uh, he helped to work on that DSL in Kotlin. Yeah. Every time I use the Kotlin cool. DSL, I think of my buddy, Chris, who's still there. <laughs> he's still alive. He's just not doing other stuff. Either. Yeah. That, yeah, that yeah. predates my time at Gradle for sure. But I remember, um, I was I was doing a ton of work in Apache Camel maybe uh, six year five or six years ago, and yeah. um, so all of that interplay between everything that Klaus was doing with Spring and the Camel Spring Boot integration, and and then also the whole the whole debacle between do I do Camel do I do Spring integration like 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 which yeah. one? Uh, but there was I think that was when I first when he kind of got on my radar. Um, so yeah. Uh, that's a small world. So. Very small world. Super yeah. small world. This is why it's like, yeah. and, and, you know, you got to be nice to each other. This is why I like Hans, because he's always been really affable, you know, like he's a stressed out CEO of a major company that's solving problems for millions of people around the world. You know, he can, he can afford to be a little abrupt if he wants to, but he never is. He's always exceedingly nice and, and you know, because eh, he knows he's smart. He knows it's a small, small world. You're going to bump into people. You can't piss in the pool. Yeah, uh, so well, and community focused, uh, and, yep. and and you know, and what what he did, I mean, he set out to make all of our lives better. You know, <laughs> it's yeah. a very kind mission, really. Um, really? So yeah. uh, you know, um, but then on top of that, no, that's one of the great things about working for him. You know, he's not always all business. He's a super interesting guy. He can talk right. about a lot more than than, than just software. Um, right. Of course, when he talks about software, you always learn something, you know, Right. Um, but his approach is, yeah, I mean, uh, to have succeeded the way that he has, um, you know, he could be a lot more, uh, a lot more aggressive. I mean, <laughs> nobody would, I wouldn't like it, but I'm just saying I would understand it because a lot of people get strung up by the time they get that successful, you know, and you know, he's just been great the entire time. I, yeah. I, so, okay. We use, uh, like I said, Spring Framework, uh, I think made the move. Because we have some very strange, you know, Spring Framework is used by lots of people, right? Like mm-hmm. it's, it's, it, I don't know what libraries on the JVM save for Java itself and maybe like Log4J or, or JUnit, right? There's, a, there is, it's up in the rarefied air, like the top three or four most widely used libraries sure. on the JVM. But, and as a result, we have this incredible like commitment to um, backwards compatibility and, and forward compatibility. So, at any given point, there's uh, a version of Java or two behind and a version of, or two of Java coming. Uh, and we're, we're compiling against X. And there's always like, we, hey, what about this new feature coming in X plus two that we can't officially compile against because we support this version of X for a while. But if, if somebody brings X plus two, we want to be able to support that and also adapt, dynam- dynamically adapt to uh, those new features, right? To be able to support them if they're used in conjunction with our code, even though we're compiled against an older version. There's just weird stuff, like weird, like incredibly hard problems to solve that most people, 99.99% of the world doesn't have to solve. Most people compile against and use just one version of Java, right? But we're building a framework for people who are using multiple versions across the ecosystem. So Gradle was like, just forget about fast. I mean, forget about all that. It was correct. Yeah. That was the important part was just could we could we conceptually describe this in weird domain 
that only a framework that is widely used and in so many different scenarios as Spring would ever even have in the first place, right? And so, yes, 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 we can. And then, uh, and then it's like, okay, well, what else can we do? Obviously, you're, you, all these improvements that you get from both the local build tool and Google Enterprise, those are all great. But there's also just the, you know, we have, we, we version manage, you know, the world's dependencies, basically. If you're building a Spring Boot app, you, you benefit from version, from level setting for just hundreds of libraries, right? And so we have this incredible DSL. And this is one of those things where, to, your, to what you just said, you look at our build and it doesn't look like other grid builds, which might be a little off-putting. On the other hand, this is spring. It doesn't need to look like other greater builds. It's yeah. yours shouldn't look like ours. But one of the things that's interesting about ours is we have this incredible DSL for de- declaring dependencies and sub-dependencies and plugins. And we can say, okay, from this group ID, here are the four modules, here's the plugin. We want to make sure this all get contributed to a plugin section. We want to create a property automatically. We want to create the plugin management section. So when we get this, when this gets deployed to, you know, uh, Maven Central or whatever, you know, as a Palm XML, it, it it expands our four or five lines of this custom DSL that we wrote into like God knows how, how many hundreds of lines or whatever in <laughs> strewn about the different projects, right? Like, uh, it's just amazing, right? That that's one of those things where, and also it, we have another, we have a custom tools uh, in the Gradle build. Like we have something called Bomber, B-O-M-R, um, which is a task basically in our Gradle build. And it checks Maven Central for new dependencies and gives us the chance to say, yes, I want to approve that and like incorporate that into the version management scheme for all the dependencies that we manage on behalf of the users, right? And then even better, it even sends a pull request to our own project saying, hey, you should upgrade this. Like it's just- That's really it's like, cool. Yeah, it's DP in, in yeah. action. It's all this Absolutely really, really it. smart stuff, you know, and it's just wow. So yeah, I, I I see an engineer's touch in all this. I see Hans is like uh, brilliance, you know, that kind of stuff is just <laughs> now obviously it, don't get me wrong, a lot of brilliant people in the spring team that made this stuff happen. This is none sure. of this is like off the shelf. But the fact that we could get there, you know, uh is just fantastic. Such a a win. Well, I mean, obviously we appreciate that. And I mean, but, but it was that type of flexibility and, and giving that power back to the developer um, and also respecting their time. You know, I mean, uh, it's, it's um, yeah. Yeah. But I, I mean, you, you, you nailed it. I mean, to be able to do, do something just as simple as being able to declare multiple JDKs uh, for parts of the build, or to be able to yeah. have this very straightforward syntax for loading plugins, dependencies, that was all, you know, that's, that's, that's all part of it. And, you know, we have, I mean, since then, of course, the project has, has continued to evolve. We have great engineers, you know, working for Gradle Inc. And I think that sure, that's sure. kind of an unfair advantage too, right? I mean, we, we employ 50 plus uh, engineers who are, who get to work full time just on Gradle, you know? Nice. And so that, that really gives, yeah, it gives, it gives the, the, the project a real edge. I mean, I think we, we all know the dirty little secret of of open source now that's I, I don't remember the last statistic i saw from linux foundation or whomever but something around like 80 percent of all open source code is sponsored basically either somebody's getting paid by a company to write it or whatnot um but at the same time when you have kind of that much corporate love and you have you know really talented engineers yeah. thinking about this you have you know piat jagilski who's uh, jagilski who's the uh um, the VP of engineering for, for, for Gradle and has set, you know, really good, uh, uh, direction on that project. Um, right. I mean, I think, I think, I think what we have, which is rare, 
you know, um, is that we started with a really solid and forward thinking set of values that would have yeah. permanence and would lead themselves to a project with that was future proof and that, that could that could be useful in, in future iterations of the way that we run software. And those values have now been cascaded down to an engineering team. And that's fe- figured into everything. It's figured into the way that we hire figured into the way that those uh, that those engineers are, are made productive. I mean, of course, we're building Gradle build tool against Gradle Enterprise. And that alone, <laughs> I mean, if you've ever if you've ever built Gradle, is oh, a boy. ton of tests. I mean, it's <laughs> ridiculous. So yeah. Um, uh, so anyway, though, I, I, I appreciate that. And but I also I think that um, that it's it's that Hans, you know, planted a, a, a seed in a really good place and then has now been able to grow a team around it that um, that's, that's able just, to just keep making it a great, a great tool. Right. That's a good point. I shouldn't dismiss yeah. uh, the, the many contributions beyond his initial seed. Uh, like you say, that's yeah, it's, it's, it's really grown. It's really sprouted. Uh, and I, you're right about having a lot of people, you know, the benefits of having a corporate sponsor, you know, spring team is not uh dissimilar, right? We're, we yeah. are a open source project and there's certainly, I mean, we get, we're one of the most lively open source projects on the on GitHub. But that said, uh, still a large chunk of it comes from people that draw a paycheck from the same place. You know, um, not a not a particularly big paycheck, mind you, but it's a paycheck. I'll take it. You know, like, I mean, sure, it's in coffee, but you know, still something. You know, in the inflation economy, you can't you can't negate how great coffee is. Yeah. Well, and I like. The, I mean, culturally, VMware and. Um... You know, you seem to have like, there seems to be a lot of respect for developers and kind of their personal brand as well. I mean, I was just on Nate Shuda's podcast, uh, between oh, yeah. chair and keyboard, like, uh, like, like a month ago. And, um, I, I just think it's, uh, it's really cool that, you know, y- y'all maintain the, 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 the freedom to be able to kind of work on those, you know, the side projects and stuff. And I think it's really important. I mean, that community aspect, I mean, that's all it is. This, this is community, you know, <laughs> you yeah. and I have this discussion and, um, and being able to share it with other people who think the same way. So, um, no, I, I appreciate that a lot about VMware's culture. So, oh yeah, it, it's super. We have, uh, we are definitely an engineering company. I like that too. I do to your, to what you just said. I do love that about our company. We have, we have terrible, 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 terrible systems for expense reports. The worst, <laughs> the worst. Uh, oh, ours uh, are great. Yeah, no, yeah, you're not. No. Ours are nobody awful. ever. Yeah. But, but everything else is pretty great. I'm a big fan, you know, um, yeah. but don't take it from me. You know, I get a, you know, I'm wearing the, um, VMware underwear and VMware yeah. socks, you know. I'm wearing the Gradle shirt, so you can't yeah, yeah, exactly. I'm wearing either. Um, <laughs> We're just okay, colluding. So, exactly. <laughs> uh, and actually, wait, if we both agree to give away Gradle build tool and the Spring Framework for free, is that price colluding? Uh, well, that's a really open good source. question. I mean, it's, it's open source. Like if we agreed to it, I mean, sure, they're already open source. Zero. If we just agreed to it. So we so from going forward from now on, both of yeah. our projects will be free. You will pay exactly zero dollars, right. and you will not have to, uh, uh, you know, obey anybody's end user license agreement or anything like that. Well, you have uh, to. It's a patch to license, but oh well, okay, yeah, yeah. that's pretty permissive. So, yeah, um, I I don't. Is that collusion? I don't I'm not. I don't I'm not get a in trouble, but I'm just wondering. I'm not a lawyer. I don't. I don't know. I, I guess it probably is. Somebody could probably figure out a way to sue us for it. No, so. let's not do it then. 
Let's just agree that things will stay as they are, which is to yep. say open source and free. Yes. Um, yeah. Well, okay. I mean, well, I, I'm excited. I don't even know yeah. where I'm going with this. What's the, uh, what's the latest, what, what should we be looking forward to in the, in the great horizons? You know, I'm, you mentioned that predictive test selection. That seems like a really big win. I imagine I would be really look into that one right now. Predictive is a big deal. Um, and it's, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's new tech. It's, it's still rolling out, but it's already saving, uh, a, a lot for people. Uh, I would keep your ear to the ground about, um, the donation to the Apache Software Foundation. And if you happen to be, uh, the maintainer of a Java JVM project and you think you could benefit from Gradle Enterprise, it's great news. Uh, once the infrastructure yeah. kind of finishes their work, uh, then you'll be eligible for that. So, uh, you know, keep an eye out for that as well. I mean, I've been running tests against a number of, of Apache projects, you know, pre-donation just to get an idea. And I mean, like, like some of these projects, I mean, like Kafka, Kafka is a great example. You know, there's 22,000 tests, I think, in that uh, right now. And um, and between predictive test selection and test distribution and all these things of caching, I mean, we can really speed that up uh, uh, enormously. Um, we are always having conversations with Google about what we can do uh, to improve, um, you know, the Android experience. But we are right. also right now, there is a separate focus uh, around Gradle Build Tool on how we could be useful for iOS developers. Um, oh, so can you tell us about that? What is this? So tell us about, can you tell us whatever you can about native and iOS and like C++ and just yeah. the whole world, like the CD underworld, I had no idea existed. <laughs> yeah, everything outside of Java. Yeah, so yeah. Um, uh, so iOS is is a tough nut to crack because obviously, you know, you're building within Apple's walled garden. Um, but there have been a few interesting uh, advancements. First of all, Bazel uh, has made it possible to uh, run iOS builds. And, you know, it's not too surprising. You've got, you know, Google trying to maintain mobile applications for multiple platforms now. Um, right. And so that was something that was baked into Bazel. Uh, we're not sure that that'll necessarily be the right entry point for us. Um, I mean, we we built the Bazel compatibility. We're just not seeing, you know, the the huge adoption of people um, building their iOS projects. With well, so, it, so with for people listening, Bazel is Bazel is Google's internal tool. Is that open? I thought it was just proprietary so, Google. Oh, they made it okay. open source. Yeah, they made it okay. open source. Yeah. It used to be just their thing. And then there's like yes. pants, Twitter created pants, which is like a copy of that, uh, yep. you know, in spirit, whatever. Um, yeah. So the Bazel build tool is available for everybody now. Download it as an open source project. And, and, and actually, I mean, so a, a report came out last year and actually I think they just published the newest one, but open logic who I actually used to work for before Gradle, they do like a state of the a state of open source survey every year where they, and they, right. they actually the last few years they've been working with uh, OSI and or the open source initiative and and have really sourced like a, a good sampling of people into the survey. They got like, like almost 3000 people, I think in the last nice. survey and they asked questions like what's in your tool chain. And um, we got one little piece of data, which was like, okay, that's interesting. I mean, it, it's a very, it's, it's, a, it's kind of a biased crowd because it's enterprises that they're interviewing. Um, sure. But Maven and Gradle were actually sharing pretty close to even market share in terms of uh, businesses reporting that they had in their tool chain. Now that's not deduplicating, right? These could be companies that are using both Maven and Gradle. Um, right. But Basil was, was like an almost 10% of the respondents said that they had Basil somewhere. What? I know. I was what? floored. I was floored. I was like, that is fast. You know, that, me over with a feather. That now it's that one study. 
and and you know but but you can verify it it's the 2021 uh open logic uh open source support report as they call it and, uh, so i know ba- i mean the sweet spot for basil is these giant builds with like it's if you have a mono repo that's going to make sense to you right it's going to feel right yep. but i don't know that many orgs that are doing that and so it's a see to hear that it's temporary so is this jvm builds or just like all builds period it does Basil a number. Supports. Yeah, Basil can build uh, iOS. It can build uh, Go. It can build Java. Sure, is the survey reflecting just the JVM builds, or just all builds across all languages? The, it's it's all, all builds across all languages. So the the okay. survey they just hit they hit like all these enterprises, uh, and and that that's the that's the bit of bias right there though for sure is that this is that these are mostly enterprises that were being uh, interviewed or that that took part in the survey and you know how it is. I mean, like the mono repo thing, that's a whole thing we could spend like a whole other episode talking about, but like there's this trend where businesses are like, Google's doing this. So I need to do this, which <laughs> is like totally false in most cases. <laughs> right. You, 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 know? ever, you ever, you ever, uh, watch, um, Oh gosh, what's his, uh, who's that guy? The, um, swordly, um, Swordly, swordly. Oh my goodness! I can see his wonderful face. Um, How would I know him? Simon Wardley on Twitter. Wardley, okay. Yeah, and he talks about Wardley maps, and uh, he, he's got got this phenomenal presentation. Where he talks about Wardley maps, and basically, they're value streams over time, right? So you can see over time how the value stream changes to reflect things that have been commoditized versus which are that which is proprietary and novel and new, you know? This is like and, uh, language. I love this. I love this. Stuff. Oh, he's, gonna... oh, he's, he's a genius. And, and he talks about, he says, you know, a lot of people, you know, we make that exact mistake that you just talked about, which is that we do what the others are doing. And that's a terrible strategy. And he says, military leaders don't say we're going to charge the hill because other people have successfully charted the hill. Like that's ridiculous. You know, you have to, you have to consider the context in which you're in, not just the history of, of what other people have done. It makes no sense. Just because it worked for Uber, for Google, you know, like you, you hear like Uber for, right? Uber for X. Yeah. That's, don't do that. You're just asking for trouble. You know, it's a terrible idea. That's not strategy. That's the opposite of it. Um, it's, it's a, you're spot on. And I, 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 I think, I think what happens if I had to hazard a guess, you know, as you start moving on the chasm uh, or across the chasm into the late adopters and the laggards and all those folks that tend to be more of the, you know, more of the, the enterprises that we kind of think of, you have this shift, right? If you go look at like leadership around a company like, um, like Uber or LinkedIn or Netflix or any of these, you know, any of these really like Bay area focused engineering heavy companies, like yeah. their leaders with purchasing power who make decisions for the direction of the business are also engineers and right. they, they know what they're doing, you know, but you start moving across and now you get folks who are, you know, non-technical leadership with purchasing power and influence over the technical direction of the business. And so they start saying things like, oh, I read this article about how Google is using Kubernetes to do things at amazing scale. And I think that we could really use that here at our xyz enterprise company right. that doesn't it doesn't have nearly as many users and that is a b2b company and that you know doesn't have to scale globally or if we did you know cloud native is probably all we really need to worry about um right. but instead they're like no nope, we got to do it the google way and so you know it's been it's been almost comical if it wasn't like such a massive 
waste of time in so many cases that I might right. laugh at it. But like um, to be able to watch these companies who like lift and shifted their products from VM to Docker without doing any like 12 factor refactoring oh. or, or any decomposition. And then they're like surprised when just as inefficient. Right. Like doesn't gain anything. anything. It's like, well, of course not. Like you're 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 operating at way too low on the the layer. Like nobody and so um, but it's like all these and I don't know what the pretext for it was. Um and I feel like actually, you know, this was an area where like uh, I don't I don't know exactly what happened, but when you started hearing people refer to containers as like the new VM, it was like, oh man, it's like this is gonna be bad. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, I, okay, so I can kind of, hey, like if you said to me on paper, hey, uh, you've got these mainframe apps and you've got these like uh, old Windows apps and all that. And it's like, okay, great. I'm going to come out. I'm going to, I want one way to deal with all these things. I don't have these old mainframes. The vendor doesn't even exist anymore, but I need to still run that software. I'm going to rehome it. I'm going to put it inside a virtual machine. And that feels all right because, it, yes, I'm running a redundant copy of the operating system. But it's still a heck of a lot cheaper than running that defunct mainframe, right? I can't yes. do that. Even if I could, it would be a millions of dollars. So, okay, so that makes sense. But then you start thinking, okay, well, what if, what if I commoditized, you know, what if I, what if like we took for granted the operating system? That wasn't a thing that changed is Linux. Statistically, it's going to be Linux, right? I mean, sure. unless it's not. It's Linux until it's not. And that's the ex- rule, not the exception, right? So, so, so if it's Linux, then why do we, why not just share that? And that makes a ton of sense too. And so if you're, if you're like looking at like, Hey, that, that, that mindset of, Hey, I'm going to like do more of the same thing. Cause then I have operational efficiencies. Cause I don't have to like hire and maintain and pay for all these different stacks. Right. I can just think about everything in virtual machines. And yeah, of course it seems a little appealing to like, okay, well, let's just do containers. It's the same thing, but it's thinner. Right. But it's not the same thing and you're going to get in trouble. Right. Like it's so much pain. And I, I'm all, I'm all about the Kubernetes life, right. Except for the, you know, YAML, which is no rock hard no, past. But, um, yeah. yeah, but, uh, <laughs> but like, but it's not the same. So of course we get, this, that's a whole other, you know, that's a DevOps ex- productivity experience discussion around mm-hmm. like, what do we gain from those like charging up the hill just because somebody else did, you know, uh, strategies, you know, I don't know. I think, uh, yeah, no, I mean, you, you hit the nail on the head in so many different ways. You know, I mean, it's like, you know, uh, yes, we have this cool file system trick, um, which, by the way, we used to call a shrewded jail. And before that, we used to call it a Solaris oh, zone. Yeah. You know, I mean, like, oh, yeah. but, uh, but it's who a really... Who sets the pin pro- you know, permissions, you know? What the heck? Yes. But we made a cool icon with Docker, and so ours is better. But uh, so, uh, but anyway, and I'm not, and I, you know, I'm just joking. I mean, I'm not dismissing. I mean, containers are incredibly powerful, and they've done sure. wonderful stuff. You know, as long as you are fitting the application to them properly, and mm-hmm. and that's that critical mid step that that so many businesses I feel like have missed. You know, but it's the but transformation, it's the transformation part, the the twelve factor. Yeah. Like everybody, everybody should go read twelvefactor.net. Everybody who's thinking about a migration to container or cloud native should be familiar with the 12 factors. And it's not that like, and I say, I say this a lot. It's, it's, you have to understand the relationship. It's not like I'm, I'm implying that, Hey, your cloud project is going to fail if you don't <laughs> apply 12 factor. But what, what will happen is you will experience a lot more friction in an right. inverse proportion to how 12 factory your application is. 
the okay. less right. well factory, the more friction you'll experience as you move to cloud. Um, listen, I mean, what what containers have been able to do in terms of dev prod parity and right. the way that we can think about deploying our own stuff now? Oh, I mean, I'm not I'm not discounting it, you know. Um, but I, I'm saying that they're that by charging up the hill, to your point, I love that metaphor. I think that's so apt, um, you know, without actually paying attention to our surroundings and even right. wondering, even even knowing for sure what's on top of that hill. <laughs> you know, it's like, I think things will be better, uh, but I don't know. <laughs> so, right. but I, going back to um, the original point about uh, the basal adoption and I'm seeing a lot of companies want to move to a monorepo just yeah. to a monorepo. And then it's like, yeah, Basil helps with the monorepo, of course. But again, we don't all have to be Google, you know? Um, yeah. Facebook right. even, I mean, they've got the biggest monorepo on the planet, you know, they and they use their own buck build system that they've kind of modified. But like, if you look at Meta, I mean, they put, this thing is ridiculous. I mean, they have every single Facebook application, including Oculus. I'm looking at my Oculus right now, including the Facebook web app, including their iOS and Android apps, including WhatsApp and Instagram and all of their stuff in one repo. <laughs> you know, it's like, wow. Um, Logically, it makes no sense. Yeah. Um, they have their reasons for it. Um, and they have, uh, um, there's a guy, uh, Adam McCormick, who's kind of an outspoken developer productivity guy who works at Meta. We've had him on our podcast and our, our dev product lowdown before he's a really interesting guy and yeah. um you know he's he's solving one of the hardest productivity problems in the world which is managing this crazy monorepo and he he puts it and i love this he says yeah facebook can clever their way out of anything <laughs> <laughs> i mean fingers crossed we could really use some of that you know yeah so um so anyway though um yeah the, the basil the basil stuff has been interesting um, but yeah, and in terms of, you know, what we're focusing on, I mean, we want to be able to be the one build tool for all of your mobile. Uh, so it makes sense that iOS is, is on our roadmap. I'm, we're not, we haven't, you know, even, even picked a clear direction on it yet to be, to be clear, but it's a focus for us. Um, you know, you go back to Gradle's uh, original mission, you know, um, if all companies are building software, then all, all companies are building with Gradle. Um, and so that's been, you know, uh, kind of a, a marching orders for the build tool team. Let's let's support more and more ecosystems. Let's try to make Gradle useful for more and more frameworks. So, so is there like a .NET Gradle, you know, or a PHP no. Gradle? I mean, what's the story there? No, we haven't. I mean, we haven't gone in those directions. And it's, it's really, you, you got to like, this is where you start asking yourself, you know, like be really like introspective and, and think like take .NET. That's usually probably, I would say, maybe the second most common question that I get when I go talk about everything we're doing with Gradle Enterprise. They're like, oh, this is great. I really want this stuff. Uh, what, how, can we, how can we get all these benefits from, from .NET? And I'm like, oh, well, I'm sorry. You know, and it's like, yeah. uh, but here's, and I, and I, I kind of, you know, but, but then they have to start thinking, okay, so do we build something within Gradle? And I, and I start thinking, you know, we're so JVM Java focused culturally and as a team, I think we would put something of mediocre quality out there because, you know, without, without really getting headcount around folks who are real .NET and, and, and Microsoft luminaries. So to be honest, and I'm just going to put this out in the, in the universe, um, 
I think that there's a very high possibility that anybody who did release uh, a .NET uh, compliant DPE platform would do very well right now. Um, right. There's, there's, you know, we are waking up the industry to this. Uh, and I think, uh, and again, I'm not saying anything. This is all speculation. This is me just prognosticating. There's nothing going on, sure. nothing <laughs> leaking any SEC data or anything like that. But, uh, but, but I think that if a company were to develop such a solution and do well at it, we would be very interested in acquiring that technology. Um, and I think that that would, would be a better direction for us uh, to be able to take the people who really know what they're doing with these platforms and have had the, the, the experience um, and, and let them build it, you know, and then figure out a way to either get them into our kind of DPE ecosystem, which, you know, a, a lot of my job, I mean, I've got, I mean, look, look, I mean, I'm, I'm a, I'm field CTO and chief evangelist for, for Gradle. Obviously one metric of my success is whether we're selling more Gradle enterprise. Right. But yeah. my real, what, what, what gets me up in the morning, we've got sellers that, that do that and they get, they get paid commission and all that great stuff to sell Gradle enterprise. Um, and I believe in the platform. It's a, it's a fantastic product, but my ultimate goal is promoting DPE. My ultimate yeah. goal is getting everybody who's doing this stuff under the same banner, using the same language, thinking about the same things, um, and, and legitimizing DPE as a category. And so to have somebody .NET C sharp. Yeah. So. Do you have like a dpefactors.net website or something like that? Or DPE yeah, manifesto? We're working on this. Uh, oh, you, you nailed it. Yes. The DPE manifesto is in the works. Um, it's something that, um, that is going to end up um, being the result of um, thinking from a lot of different people. And we cool. want something like, you know, agile manifesto, um, you know, where, where we can have signatories. Now, though, I, I have kind of a cute idea for how this site might kind of look. Uh, and it's yeah. something that I've been kind of thinking about and talking with other people about. Um, but I think it would be really cool to represent visually the developer value stream uh, yeah. and talk about where there are impediments to throughput. And then people who are signatories of the DPE manifesto would would really just be represented as to what part of the value stream they're unsticking for developers. So not only then does it kind of become useful of saying like, here's all the people who have signed on to DPE, but it also becomes a guide. You know, it also yeah. becomes a way that companies can start really uh, doubling down on this. Like so. the CNTF landscape map and, thing. And yeah. man, we are just like so in sync because that was my motivation. That That was my inspiration <laughs> for thinking this way. I love that, that, uh, that. Cool. The, yeah, I love the CNCF trail guide. Um, and but no, that was my inspiration for for for, for this. I like it too. But what people don't understand is it's a fractal. So if you click on one of the quadrants, it, d- it dives in, and there's even more. It's like, oh no, what? Oh. <laughs> that's well, that's the landscape. But have you seen their trail guide? Yeah. So oh, the yeah. yeah, the trail guide is what inspired this thinking. But I, the landscape too, I think, is so, so cool. Good. I mean, it's it's terrifying because it's yeah. like it's like one visual of just how fragmented the open source landscape is right now. Yeah. yeah. And like, there's, there's no one single, you know, unifying theory behind it at all, but that's okay. That's right. that's what organic means, you know? But um, so, but so, yeah, I mean, I, I would love to see um, more entities outside of Gradle coming into this space inside of DPE. And, um, but I, but I think honestly, you know, we could either hire a whole bunch of really good people with, with a lot of good knowledge of Microsoft, or we could put out something mediocre. Our culture is not to put things out that are mediocre. And that's no. kind of why we haven't, we haven't, we haven't really done it, you know? Makes sense. I, that's cool. I mean, I'm just wondering, 
Like, yeah. I, I'm, I'm glad that, you know, look, I, it's not that .NET is, I mean, if, if Spring hadn't come around, I would be a .NET developer today. Mm. Right? I've said this a million times. Um, I, I, Cause you, you and I were talking about earlier, we were talking about how, uh, what, were we, what were we talking about? How that's just the way it's always been done. Right. And so yeah. the, instead of like, instead of like, it's, it just, it, people don't complain. It's not the same as like good. Right. right. And, uh, and, you know, so obviously, and, you know, just I hate to uh, dredge this up again, but obviously EJB3, Farsight better, great, much, much better improvement. But, you know, we can all agree EJB1 and 2 were nightmarishly bad, right? And it was to the point where we actually had, we had people building tools to code generate yes. six types for every one type that I wrote, right? Using uh. ASCII doctor, no, using um, JavaDoc. Yep. As Java Doclets, you know, like we had uh, a product called X Doclet. And I just remember like we went so far down this rabbit hole of like, okay, well, EJB is immutably terrible. It's an atrocious thing, but we need it. And it require even though it requires like seven redundant classes that have slightly different method signatures and therefore couldn't be derived at runtime um, to do any one thing, you know, like it was just a nightmare even though we got to the point where we we're literally relying on tools to code generate our way out of this mess, you know, we had built all this automation, but it was like, we could have just fixed the problem instead, you know, instead right. of like making the terrible thing as palatable as possible. Why not just not eat the pal- the terrible thing, you know? Um, so I like where you, I like where your head's at here. I like the idea that we're, we have a, a, a focus, a practice on let's figure out what we can do to make it more than just people are not complaining. Yes, instead of band-aids on band-aids. And yeah, and, yeah. and because yeah, because because the other thing too is that um this this is not my quote, but this is something that has been indelibly etched in my brain since I did an uh, we did an interview with a guy named Danny Thomas, who's one of the productivity engineers at Netflix. I don't know if you if you right. if you know Danny. I've heard of him, yeah. Yeah. So he's know. a really, really bright guy. And and uh, you know, Netflix was one of the first companies to start focusing on uh developer productivity they built their team in 2017 i i don't know the exact numbers but i know that they do have like hundreds of engineers that are just focused on developer productivity supporting all the rest of the engineering team and they have a brilliant platform team and everything like that but anyway we were talking and um and you know we were talking about this we were talking about exactly this why is no one complaining about this stuff and he said it is and I, i this is like it's etched into my mind um he said uh it is staggering the amount of friction and frustration and toil that engineers are willing to put up with, <laughs> you know, I was like, man, mic drop on that. Cause uh, you're right. And I don't know what it is. I, I don't know if we're all like masochists at heart or something like that. I gotta tell you. I, so I, yes, but also I think the mark of a successful senior engineer is that she's willing to say, yes, this sucks, but it's not my priority. I need to ship. True. Right? And, and so like when I was younger and less practical and less well-centered, you know, I'd see like squirrel and I just be like, okay, I'm going to go off and fix this. You can't keep, you've got to focus. You got to get heads down. And so I think a lot of people, at least certainly to, certainly I do. I, I'm like, this isn't great. I'll come back to it, but I need to focus on what, because if you don't have somebody who's, full-time job it is to make builds and developers more productive it's not in scope it's not in purview for the people shipping apps to production tomorrow you know like and so they're 
you know, they just have to focus on that. They're not doing the wrong thing, but yes, there is this growing burden, this growing tech developer productivity, technical debt, you know, uh, and it's just misaligned priorities, you know? I, and, and yeah, I mean, you, you're right. You, we talked about context switching early on. You can't be right. shifted focus between multiple things. You have to focus on this right. one thing. And that's why, you know, the DPE practice, this is one of the things that makes it so much different than DevOps, actually, I think, is that when you think about um, the platonic ideal of a DevOps team, you think right. about no team at all, right? That's, that's right. kind of the rule, right? It's all automation. There's no people in the loop, right? It's all. But with DPE, you've got to have somebody who has the right type of empathy who like understands these pains, but it has also been able to take that leap and see past it and be like, almost like envision like a little, like a little prairie dog, like standing up in the cube for him. Like things don't have to be this way. You know, <laughs> <laughs> like had the little revelation. And, um, uh, but the problem is even now in a lot of businesses, this is happening. Like if you look left, you look right in software organizations, you're probably going to be able to find somebody who is spending some of their time working on productivity, but it's usually True. like, part-time thing, you know, begrudgingly like, too. And they're not right. really productive. Instead, you got to have the center is a center of excellence. You've got to have people who do this full time. Is so. it fair to say, is that like, is that uh, Justin's postulate then that all teams are focusing on DPE, some begrudgingly and half, half uh, sufficiently, but, but they're all focusing on it, right? Whether they want to or not, it, it, it's something you have to focus on. If you plan for it and provision for it, it's much more pleasant, I guess. I think that's fair. I would, I would add though, that it's pretty ad hoc, right? Um, yeah. that, you know, there's, there's not a lot of framework behind it. Not a lot of good also, metrics. A lot of people putting out fires instead of like building better fire resistant homes. Right. And you know, yes. maybe DP is all about moving towards this place where we're like, what sh- shifting left on developer productivity tools, you know, like, you know, owning it. Totally. Yeah. I mean, we're, we are now hyper-focused on just the developer experience and unclogging, uh, unclogging that part of the value stream and, and making developers happier. Uh, and it, and it works. I mean, we, we've done our own little, you know, studies and stuff like that. We did a research survey where we, where we asked people who were kind of, you know, good on their DPE journey and have started to do some of these things, maybe not fully mature, but that they've introduced it. And it was like over 80% of the respondents said that, that the practice made their job more enjoyable, you know, I mean, just, yeah. just that, you know? Um, so no, I do think that, that there are, like, you see some of this stuff, you, 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 you start telling people this, like, oh yeah, we do a little bit about that, but you can't just like, you can't context switch between writing code and answering emails and all that stuff. You really can't switch between being like productivity focused and then right. just going back to writing, writing code. Like you have to pick. Uh, I'm building, build- I'm, I'm building this feature, but I also need to build this plug-in. It just doesn't... You got it. Yeah. Can't have one. I can't have both. So that's where, you know, the organizations that I think are doing this at the best scale, they do have a dedicated center of excellence. They've got a dedicated team. And, and, you know, there, there are other metrics and things that can be used. Like I'm a big space framework fan. I really think the space framework is, is brilliant uh, in terms of being able to comprehensively describe the productivity of an organization. Um, And uh, DPE, you know, it's almost like a good metaphor is like, um, you know, when I go and uh, like I I go test my my pool's chemistry, right? And I, I dip a, a little test strip in there and then the colors come out and it tells me, okay, what's the alkalinity? What's the pH? What's the chlorine level? You know, like all these things. I'm like, okay, look at that. I look, I think it's space that way because the, the strip is not prescribing the way that I get the water to the state that I want it in, right? right? I could have a salt system or I could have a chlorine system or, you know, tablet system or what, whatever. Um, but at the end of the day, no matter how I got there, 
you know, these metrics are telling me either the, the water is great or I shouldn't go in because my skin will peel off or, you know, who knows? <laughs> like, um, but, but space, I, I love it because um, any of these things that we want to do to improve productivity uh, can be, can be represented within one of the space metrics. And we can gauge that to see whether we've really moved the needle. Um, I think not enough people who are thinking about space are thinking about it comprehensively. And there's data to support this. There was a study that, uh, the original authors of space, uh, did back in, in April, um, where they basically just quizzed a bunch of different, uh, development teams about how they felt about productivity. Right. And, um, so the space framework and the metrics are, you know, satisfaction, performance, activity, collaboration, and efficiency. And um, the way that the whole framework works is, you know, you give somebody the ability to go free form answers on something, and then you just categorize their statements into one of those five things. And what you really want is a balanced. You you want like all five of those metrics to be kind of in balance. People, yeah. are we are not like uh, when they did this survey back in April, uh, developers were like, only talking about activity, which is like code that I'm cranking out, you know, builds that I'm running, things like that. Um, managers were only thinking about performance, which is like, did we meet the deadlines to get the feature out on time? Nobody's thinking about satisfaction. It was less than 10% on satisfaction for both of them. And a disturbingly low amount were thinking about efficiency and flow as well. Um, so, um, so it's like, we have these bits and pieces and things that can work together, but we really need to crystallize it. And that's why I think a name is so important. You know, I mean, let's, let's at least all start by calling it the same thing. So, right. Yeah, you, you can't rally around something that doesn't have a, a name, you know? Oh, if it's like nebulous. <sighs> yeah. So. Um, my friend, this is all so interesting. There's so much, we, you're, you're right. We should, and, and we could and should do another episode. Um, sure. I'll be happy. People, I'd be happy. That'd be great. Uh, yeah. But let's say we're, you know, uh, I want people to be able to walk away from this, remembering how it started, mm. you know, because there's so much and it's easy to lose the breadcrumbs. So where do people go to learn more about? Well, for, I mean, my normal question is, you know, are you on the internet? Do you want to be found? And if so, where can people find you? And then, and then, in this case, I also want to know, like, where can people go to learn more about developer productivity engineering? I, you said the manifesto is not quite there, but where else? Failing that, where would they go? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, keep an eye out for the manifesto. We're super excited about this. Um, it's going to be like a .org type of thing where it's vendorless and vendor neutral, and we want to invite people into the space. So that'll be happening. Uh, and this, I'm a, this is, a, this is a, a big priority of mine. And um, last year was all about going back to events and everything like that. Now this year, I'm trying to get some more evangelists working with our team and uh, so that I can focus more on these types of things. But in the meantime, we do have a book. Uh, it's called the DPE oh. Handbook. Yep. Uh, it's in its second revision. Um, Hans and Sam Snyder were the two uh, principal authors of that book. And then um, uh, con- contrib- contrib- contributions were made throughout the company. I, I did some work on it as well. Uh, you can get that off our website, gradle.com. Um, I am very findable on the internet and very happy to be found on the internet. Um, so feel free if you, if you want to talk about this stuff, it's very common for me to come in and do like, talk to your team, uh, about for half an hour about DPE, or we're really going to focus a lot on the Java user groups, um, this year. So if you happen to run a jug or, you know, you think this would be an interesting topic of discussion, I promise you we can come in and do the whole talk without even mentioning Gradle. Uh, if you want that more pure experience, it's very easy to do that. Um, wow. That's uh, a very, so, very, very good idea to take you up on this offer. 
Yeah, sure. I mean, um, and 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 jugs are, are going to be a big focus for us next year. I mean, we we really want to come out, reach the community, let you know, remind developers that they are worth this investment. You know, right. I mean, they're they're. I don't think you could name a more important workforce in the fact that everyone in this industry is now lifting up all the other industries. Right? It's not to say that we don't need doctors. Of course, we need doctors, but how how well right. augmented are doctors by software these days? You know, I mean, we. We, we just decoded the, the human genome six months ago. Where does it live? Right. In a digital twin, in a deep learning model, you know, that can right. run simulations on it, you know? And, and so, um, so, so anyway, uh, 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 all that is to say, please reach out. I'm also on Twitter. I'm on LinkedIn. I, I will respond to you. I would love to talk about this stuff. Um, so your J-U-S-T-I-N space R-E-O-C-K? Yep, that's the that's first and last name, and then uh, at J Reoc at J R E O C K on Twitter, uh, okay. or you can find me on the LinkedIn's too. Me and my father are the only Re- Reocs <laughs> uh, that are that are uh, well. And my my sister, uh, the the three of us, I think, are the only Reocs who are even in LinkedIn. So we're pretty easy to find. That helps okay, really cool. well with my SEO too. Like I get my videos and keynote recordings and stuff out there. And it's like, it's, it's not hard to find me. Um, but, but awesome. definitely we have a whole learning center at gradle.com too. If you go there and you go to the learning center, it's all this cool information about DPE. It's not just the handbook. We've got a maturity model that we just published. So like, where are you in your DPE journey and what should you be thinking about doing next? Um, we've got, uh, uh, like a YouTube channel where we've got interviews with a lot of folks who are doing DPE. We had this cool thing. Um, you know, Ruse, uh, Muzabi. Oh yeah. yeah. You know, Ruse. Um, he runs this really cool event called the dev prod end showdown. Now I don't know anything about sports at all. I'm not, I'm not a sports guy, but he, no, there's I... some show apparently on ESPN where people give like sports commentary and then the audience can call in and vote on who they thought or probably type in and then whoever they, they thought gave the best commentary. So like, it's like the sort of interactive uh, thing and it's like a game show style thing. Um, Ruse built something very similar for developer productivity engineering. So we get really great folks from the industry to come on the show who are working on developer productivity uh, and ask them questions and the audience can vote on, on who they thought gave the best commentary. So it's fun and you'll learn something and that's all in the learning center too. So yeah, nice. lots of good resources and, and more to come. So That's super cool. Yeah. Uh, like there's a lot of places for people to get started. There's also a tutorial. There are tutorials for Gradle itself. Uh, oh, sure. Yeah, if you're like, thinking about the build tool, I will toot sure. our own horn on that one. Is I, I really, I mean, I've seen a lot of open source projects in my time. Our documentation is really solid. Um, yes. Yeah, there's there's a lot of good learnings uh, in there as well. We've just spun up a DevRel team too um, in, for the Gradle build tool. And so we have uh, Dr. Amanda Martin is running that team for us now. Uh, she was most recently, uh, I think her most recent talk was at JConf um, this year. Um, but she's, uh, she's doing an amazing job of trying to pull together more of a, a DevRel, uh, community around Gradle. Um, so that's, uh, so keep an eye on, on her work as well. Um, and we have a Gradle community Slack. You can come and join us in there. Um, we're always talking we got a whole, a whole channel. that's just for developer productivity engineering. So that's fine. Many, many highways, uh, to, to, to reach us, but, um, but first and foremost, yeah, please, uh, feel free to reach out to me. I am not like a ivory tower kind of person. I'm pretty extroverted. I, I love talking to people and meeting new people. So, And friendly to boot. I appreciate your time, my friend. Hey, this Josh, this was so much, so much fun. Fun for me. Yeah. Ditto. Yeah. Uh, there we go. 
fist bump. Remote distributed fist bump. Remote fist bump. I love it. Yeah. Well, it was great to uh, spend this time and um, and thanks again. So, thank you. A Beautiful Podcast is produced by me, Josh Long. I do these podcasts because I believe that everything we do in software is for and made better by people. I want to hear from you. I'm Josh at joshlong.com by email or at S-T-A-R-B-U-X-M-A-N on Twitter, where, of course, my direct messages are wide open. Do you have guest ideas, topic suggestions, feedback? Don't hesitate to reach out. If you like the show, then please consider rating it on iTunes and leaving a review, uh, as it really helps the show. I sampled music from Steve Combs's Them from Morning and Springtime and Steve Combs's Small Victory, both of which are licensed under a Creative Commons license. I'm trying to hire production assistants to make the production of this podcast easier. I want to make sure that we can add things like show notes and transcripts and, and just generally do more. If you would like to advertise on the show, then please reach out to me. Uh, and if you can't uh, or don't want to advertise but would like to otherwise support the show, then please consider supporting me at patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash Josh Long for as low as $4 a month. Thanks again. No harm came to any seasons in the making of this podcast.